You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. Mr. Gunn, we have a lot to talk about. We've come back from our hiatus. I wasn't joking when I said I was going to go into my tornado bunker, waiting out the storm. I think it's passed just a little bit, but we're back. We have a lot to talk about. Like I said, Clay Helton returns. What comes up in the future? There's some things we don't know, some things we do know. USC is going to go to the Holiday Bowl, and then the early signing period is coming up quick. It's essentially a week away. Things are happening at USC. Shotgun's kind of rolling his eyes right now. But as a reminder, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. So we've said our thoughts about Clay Helton coming back on tunnel vision, stuff like that. I feel like it seems more official on the pod. If we say it, I don't want to just like jump in and not say our thoughts. Cause it feels like if you don't listen to tunnel vision, you won't know what we're thinking, but I guess overall thought shotgun, the developments that happened, where, where are you at right now? Um, I think I've went on rants about this previously, whether they were recorded or not, uh, are, is up in the air, but it's the same thing, you know, Fans wanted a giant change, and again, USC's not willing to make change. You know, they're, it, it seems they are happy with where they are at. Now, whether that is correct, you know, what is causing them to be decide that they don't want to make any changes, there can, you can go and find, you know, go on the P, and there are 17 different rumors about why there was not a move made. However, it's just status quo. You know, it's been the same for the last few years. Things have changed. People have changed. Clay Helton's not one of the people that has changed. And the football program's kind of their pathway seems to be similar. If they play to their potential, they can still win a ton of games. Are they going to play to their potential? We haven't really seen it. You know, there, there's, uh, there's consistent themes at the administrative level. There's consistent themes with... On the team level, there's consistent themes on the player level. Yes, they're going to get a ton of penalties. They're going to lose the turnover margin most of the time. Uh, you, you know, they're, they're going to be some outstanding performances. There's going to be probably an upset or two both ways because USC has elite talent, but they don't play to that talent all the time. So it's just kind of the same old thing over and over. So it's it's – Honestly, it's getting hard to talk about it because I feel like I'm saying the same things over and over. And people are the, – the the biggest difference, I think, right now is that there is so much – like the fans have made it to the tipping point. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much vitriol being you know spewed at anyone and everyone. Uh, you know, anyone from Clay Helton above. Whether it's Clay Helton, whether it's Mike Bone, the new athletic director, or whether it's Carol Folt, the new uh, president, whether it's some of the administrators – whether it's the board of trustees, you know the the players are getting a pass as they should. They the you know the the hate that is being spewed should not be directed at them. Yeah. Uh, but everyone else is getting you know just so much more. There's just so much more fan disdain. You're seeing so much you know fan support being or at least is being said will be lost. You know is at least being threatened to be yeah. lost. You know fan support and. You know, the financials behind it, you know, we've had so many people tell us that they're going to, you know, not going to renew 
whatever ticket season tickets they have, whatever donations they normally make, they're going to take all that off the table, and they're trying to hit USC in the wallet to say, hey, there needs to be change, but it again is just this, it's been kind of the same consistent theme at USC. Yeah, and even down to the statements that Mike Bone made, it was essentially the same thing that Lynn Swan said a year ago. It was Groundhog's Day all over again. And I don't know if I said it on this podcast or the Parasol podcast, but I was saying before the decision was made that if Mike Bone and Carol Folt brought back Clay Helton, it would be a miscalculation of of the fans' anger and and where they were, like you said, the tipping point. Because, yes, both of them came in new and came in in a couple of months. But it's a miscalculation of everything that USC fans have had to endure the last 10 years, let alone in this Clay Helton era. You know what I mean? And so in their minds, it might be a vacuum of making this decision in this year, this season, but it's not. And it's not for USC fans. And I think that's why there's so much hate. Like you said, it's asking fans to put up with this. One, they've been putting up with a lot. And two, it's trusting an administration that has gotten it wrong consistently. Mm-hmm. So how can you put your faith in something that's gotten it wrong year after year after year? It just it comes off patronizing. It's just it understandably leaves a bad taste in fans' mouth. Yeah, I think when you look at it from the vacuum of Carol Folt or from Mike Bone, Mike Bone says, "I've been here three weeks. Team looks like it's going in the right direction as far as the three weeks that I've been technically on the job." If you look at it from Carol Folt, I've been here a year. Eight and four is not a terrible year. It's not great, but hey, you know, sometimes you have a down year. But when you look at it from Clay Helton's tenure or you look at it from a fan's perspective, you go, that's it's much different. So it's hard, you know, you look at it and maybe they only were viewing it from their experience. You know, sometimes when you come into a, a new experience, you go, you know, I'm not, I'm just going to, I've heard bad things about this person. You know, it, and then you meet the person and you go, you know what? I, I don't. I'm going to take my own experiences over what other people have said, uh, and then try to go from there. And you know, the fans, so their experience with the current coaching staff and with the administration that has put this coaching staff together and not gone out and gotten a big name hire, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, head coach, anything. There just has not been a big name hire. You know, unless you want to count Lane Kiffin, that was a big name just because it brought a lot of controversy and stuff, you know, much more than it was going out and getting, you know, someone who had been really successful and at the college level as a head coach. You know, they just, that has not happened. And so fans are really fed up with it and, you know, they're letting their anger be known. And it's just kind of where you're at right now with USC. And, Unfortunately, there's just kind of been a lull. There, there's nothing going on mm-hmm. at USC. You know, there, there's been like one or two basketball games go on. USC, obviously, with their bye week at the end of the season and kind of waiting around on the Utah to see, hey, do we get into a, the Pac-12 championship or not? There's just been a big vacuum, and it's all just been the same thing over and over, which is part, probably why I'm tired of talking about it. Cause probably why you sound so depressed right now. <laughs> it's just It just hasn't been anything new. Now, the... I mean, we'll we'll talk about some of the things that are coming up. There are a couple of things they do know there that they're going to the Holiday Bowl, and they do there are some new developments a little bit. But it's just there's it's basically been no news, no new news since the announcement of Clay Helton. And so, unfortunately, I don't think that there's much for fans to to give them any hope right now. You know, until they get some positivity to to fill the void, you know, it's just going to be the same thing over and over. But I don't even know 
what could be positive enough in this in these next couple of weeks that could fill how big the void is, if you will. True, but you know, if you were to flip the entire Southern California five star section, I could do it. Then you know, suddenly fans would have something else to talk about at least. Sure, sure. That's not going to happen. You know, you're not going to get yeah. Bryce Young, DJ Ugalele, and uh, and Justin Flo all to flip. Elias Ricks to come back to Southern California. Gary Bryant. There's a ton of uh, Southern California talent that is currently not committed to USC. If they were to flip that whole section, yes, fans would have something different to talk about. True. Unfortunately, that's not the case, and that's not going to happen. If they get one of those guys, they'll be happy um, at, at this point. But I, I think that that's the thing is like there's just nothing else going on right now at the university because it's kind of finals period right now. So like again, like the basketball team, I think has had one game since you know any of this stuff happened. Uh, so you you can't try to redirect like this is something else to look at. No, there's there's been a the soccer team got put out the women's soccer team. So you know, there's just not been the women's volleyball got knocked yeah. out of the tournament. There's just been a vacuum in the USC athletics. So the flames just keep getting higher and higher in in the vacuum when uh, when you're looking at USC football. I think it also just shows a state of disorganization, just given. When you see how other teams have made their moves, made their decisions, and done it quickly and succinctly, and USC hasn't really done that. I mean, even to the fact where they didn't know their bowl schedule yet. And granted, they're out on the road recruiting, and and I know the joke is always that USC doesn't care about optics, but the optics are bad when we've talked about this at nauseum. But you wait as long as you do to make a decision on Clay Helton, and then once you do, you're still in a state of limbo where things aren't really moving, and you're not in this direction. I mean, we're gonna get into it, but Iowa's already had two, three practices. And they're, they're going to focus on themselves. They have their whole practice schedule figured out. And USC hasn't even announced their practice schedule yet. So it screams a little bit. It shouts, if you will, of disorganization and not really having your act together. And USC has been on the field some. They were on the field yesterday. Basically a Monday. t-shirt and shorts uh, practice on Monday. So they've started doing some stuff. How much have they done during the time in between, it's hard to say since they're not opening up practices to us. You know, no one's been available to speak. And part of the reason no one's available to speak, and, you know, if everything's going tip top, that's when you say, hey, we're having this practice. You guys want to come out? There's positive things to talk about. You know, there's another story. You can write another story about Michael Pittman as he, you know, goes towards the Blitnikoff decision. No, there's not positive things to talk about. So if anything's happening, they're keeping it low key, anyways. Um, because the only thing that's going to come is a lot of questions. And I don't think that they necessarily want that. So they might even even had some more activities with the team. I, I'm just going to say activities instead of practice. Because uh, the thing about Monday is like it looked like conditioning and kind of like a PRP. Yeah. I don't think the coaches were present. So it whether you really count that as a practice is up to you. That's one. Activities. Activities. Uh, so, you know, how much they're actually doing, they're not fully saying, and they haven't put the practice schedule out as of time that we are recording this. Yes. Um, you know, the, it's closing in already. you got got basically a week left before National Signing Day, you know, begins, the early signing period begins, and you have, you know, a week, a, a week and a half after that is when USC's bowl game is. So, you know, things are coming really quickly, and USC just seems to be in a holding pattern since the UCLA game. And that's, you know, that's what happens when you take so long to make an announcement with what was the final decision could have been announced on Sunday after the UCLA game. Coaches can be on the road recruiting. Or it can't be on the road just based on the, the NCAA recruitment schedule. But they can be planning stuff out. 
Clay Helton, if he knew that he wanted to make some changes, then he could have been scouting other coaches and stuff. Look at what happened to Georgia. You know, they lose their offensive court, their offensive line coach, excuse me, to become the head coach at Arkansas. They've announced a new offensive line coach. They're taking Matt Luke, the, the, who was the head coach at Ole Miss. He's an associate head coach and uh, offensive line coach. So within a day, they made a replacement. And they there's no pressing matter for them to make that except for recruiting. And there's a week remaining until – uh, until signing day. So for Matt Luke, he can go in and say, you know, the recruits that he was looking at at Ole Miss, he can now look at it at Georgia and see what Georgia's got coming in and those type things. USC didn't make any of those moves. They've slow played everything, which makes you think if there are going to be any moves, it's going to be at least until after early signing period and likely after the bowl game. You know, it, it would be hard for me to believe that they would be, you know, just – speeding through the process and be able to name someone immediately like Georgia was when their track record tells you, okay, well, we decided to fire someone. It's going to be four, five, six, seven days until they make a hire. Instead, even if they went, even if they followed the path of Arizona State, you know, they basically fired some guys. I think it was on Sunday and by Wednesday they had made an announcement. Maybe it was Monday to Wednesday. But you, know, you would think that USC, if they were to fire, have fired some people on a Monday, it would take them a couple days, so you're giving yourself minimum five or six days to be on a recruiting trail, which makes me think that they'll just wait, play it out with the current staff, and then you know decide if they need to make any changes after that. Before we get into the next steps that you were already kind of getting to, I just want to circle back to one thing. If and Mike Bone was creating back channels and trying to get a new head coach, but it didn't work out. It's not like he can be necessarily fully transparent and say, yeah, we wanted someone else, but we had to settle and bring back Clay. He can't say that necessarily. So is he, it? He can't say that. I looked at all the options and decided that this was the best one. I can't say that other things fell through because he's under contract. It's, it's not like there was an opening and then suddenly he can just be like, well, we decided to keep Clay because this was the, the best for us. Yeah. So I guess my point is, I guess because we were operating like they knew the whole time, which the timeline would suggest that they didn't know what they wanted to do or at least tried to do something different. So do you, in a way, give Mike Bone a pass for that or no? No, I think that they needed to make a decision quickly. And it the thing is, the timeline is all thrown off because you hire an AD three weeks before. Mm-hmm. You know, if you could have hired an AD a month before that, that'd been great. It's just everything, the timeline is just continually being pushed back, pushed back, pushed back, whether it was getting rid of Lynn Swan, whether it was hiring an AD. And, hey, these decisions take time. I understand that. However, in college football and, I mean, in pretty much any walks of life, the sooner you can do something, the better. But, you know, you need to make the right decision. And it, to ask the fans if the right decisions have been made. And they're not going to agree with you. So you've taken time, and they don't feel that the the right decisions have been made. So it's the timeline has thrown everything off, and it's not like it's you had the timeline and suddenly you brought in Bill Belichick. You know, then people would be like, "All right, you took as much time. You lost this recruiting class. That's fine. We got Bill Belichick. We got Nick Saban. (laughs) Sure, yeah. Then you would forgive the timeline at all. But since there has not been any changes, there's not been that big name hire any at any spot. Then you know it's it's hard for the fans to rally behind any of these decisions. Yeah, without a doubt. And and just the dysfunction continues. And you talk about the timeline. Even the timeline's not in a vacuum. It's a tree of decisions and bad decisions that were made that lead up to 
Lin Swan having to be fired because he kept Clay held. You know, that whole thing where it's it's not just one decision. It's the whole butterfly effect of this happened and now we're here. You know, it's it's a series of bad decisions. Yeah, you can go all the way back to Pat Hayden not fighting the sanctions or you can look at the Pat Hayden's decisions of his hires. You can look at the school overall and just the culture that has been was established there and the scandals that have come out in the last six, seven years. There's a lot of things that you can go back to and point to that have led USC to where they're at right now and where fans are just not happy at all with the football program in particular. But I think I think USC fans and alum are just not necessarily happy with the direction of the school at this very instance. And the football program is just the the star on top of the tree that everyone sees first rather than the small ornaments around the tree you know it, it's it's the thing that people look to and because it is struggling you know all the other things start you know getting bigger and bigger as well and you start seeing those you know all the the blemishes on the tree rather than you know, noticing the one positive thing. Which is why it's such a miscalculation to not invest in the football program and treat it and make it a priority that it should be just because that's what USC is about, the football team. Everything else is second when it's doing well. You know what I mean? So the star method holds up. Um, but we talked about next steps. Going forward, the things that are question marks, one, Graham Harrell, he's been linked to head coaching jobs, UNLV and UTSA. Texas has also tried to lure him away from Southern California back to his home state. So first up, Shotgun, what are your thoughts on the Graham Harrell de- development and how do you think that's going to play out? You know, I, I think that the added attention is deserved from for Graham Harrell. You know, I think the progression of the offense, and there is always a caveat that they played some weaker teams in the second half. However, they moved the ball against some good defenses as well. You know, the the Cal secondary, the Oregon uh, defense, even though they had turnovers and stuff that derailed them in that game. They still moved the ball really well. So I think he, he has earned this, you know, he's earned what he's going to get, you know, this uptick in pay that he's about to get, whether it be at USC or someone else, somewhere else, because – you know, he has gone to Texas and, and reportedly interviewed with Tom Herman or met with Tom Herman, and there is apparently a an offer on the table for three years and over six million dollars total. Um, you know, I think that and USC has since countered with a, a new offer as well, an extension for him. So I think that he will he's going to get a big pay raise. Obviously, he's interviewed for the UTSA and the UNLV jobs. Those are not very high-paying jobs. You know, the last two coaches at those two places made three hundred thousand and around six hundred thousand. So, you know, I think at USC, we believe he makes around nine hundred thousand to a million this past year. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a private school, so we don't have the we don't have access to the contracts like you do at public schools. But I, I think he's going to get a big pay raise. I think it's deserved. I think for USC, they need to keep him around yeah. because that's the one thing you can point to with this team right now and say. That's the that's the positive. That's the one. I'm th- you know, with Keaton Slovis being there as well, you know, those two things combined, I would guess would say you, you say, wow, freshman quarterback. Look what he did in this offense. You look at what this offense can do. You know, going from fair, fairly middling, in, in, you know, in the rankings and stuff to being a top twenty total offense and a you know top five passing offense in the nation. You know, the scoring offense was a little bit down. That's to do with the turnovers and stuff. But, you know, I think that he has earned this opportunity. Now USC needs to lock him up, you know, and keep him around so that they have that continuity and so they can continue to build on it. They've got a, a, a nice young star 
It wasn't the going out and getting the brand name, the high end, you know, coordinator, but they got a nice young star and now that his his stock is rising, they need to make sure that they they lock him up, keep him around because that's the one positive thing on this team right now. And it looks like the the UNLV job that he uh interviewed for looks like they're closing in on Oregon offense coordinator Marcus Royo, so looks like that one will be closed out. UTSA, I believe they already named a head coach as well, so yeah. You know, maybe he's waiting around to see if there's any other schools that may want to interview him. And I think it's good for him to go on those interviews. I don't think that he's necessarily ready to be a head coach yet. Agreed. Um, you know, but I think it's always positive to go on the interviews, go through the process, learn what the process is like, see what schools are looking for, what the interview process is, how different it is for the head coaching versus a, a coordinator position. That way, when a you know, in a, in a couple of years, if Texas Tech comes open and he really wants that job or, you know, some job comes open and he really wants, then he knows how to attack the process, you know, better than he maybe would this year when in his first interview. So I think it's good for him to go through that process. I think he's still going to wait and see probably, you know, I think that's maybe why we haven't heard much yet, you know, many developments is because there's some of the other jobs, you know, the FAUs and the Memphis that have popped open and, you know, just kind of the coaching carousel. If someone takes one of those positions, you know, like, for example, Clemson's co-offense coordinator went to, I think, South Florida uh, or one of the Florida schools. So, you know, if their other co-offense coordinator takes over, does Graham Harrell then go, you know, Clemson is a very – is an offensive coordinator position. That that seems like an ideal place to, to be right now. You know, I think those are the type of chips that he's just kind of waiting to wait out a little bit and just continuing to recruit for USC and – Maybe he has plans to come back to USC unless some offer blows him away. You know, we don't know for sure, but I think that's kind of how you would attack this situation with him. In terms of keeping him and making him stay with an attractive offer, something that Mike Bone said in his statement was um, Clay Helton and I will work together to take a hard look at all aspects of the football enterprise and we'll make the tough decisions necessary to compete at the championship level. When Mike Bone said that, people ob- obviously assumed that it would they would look at Clancy Pendergast and, and John Baxter, as I said on the Family Feud podcast a couple of weeks ago, quote unquote, the others, you know, that separation that we saw between uh, Graham Harrell and the other coordinators. Does the, the resources you would need to keep Graham Harrell stay now take away what you could do as far as coordinators? And that's that's a big question, just because you know how much are they going to invest? You know, you look back at the statements that Bone and Helton made. Uh, you know, when they announced that Helton was going to return, and the thing that stood out in that Clay Helton statement is he said it is abundantly clear that we now have the support, resources, and tools to build a championship team. Now, the word that stood out to you was now. Now, yes. the thing that stood out to me was resources. You know that you're bringing up resources in a statement about returning. You know, tells me that they are going to be investing more money into the program. Now, they chose not to invest in a new head coach, but if they're investing in other ways, you know, maybe that's assistant coach pool. You know, as far as the money's there, because that is something that that head coaches that means a ton to head coaches. But often is not as not talked about as much. You know, can you go out and get those top, those high end, you know, coordinators? Well, it takes money to do that, and sometimes the 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 assistant staff costs just as much, if not more, than the the head coach uh, as a whole. So, uh, it, when you're going to do that, do you have the money? Do you have the support to do that? And it sounds like that's now different. So, but how much? How much? change is there is it okay we're gonna invest you know give me an extra million dollars okay well Graham Harrell 
could get a you know, uptick close to that, or if not more than that. So does that then say, okay, well now you have used your hands used are tied, yeah, your budget, you know, your salary cap uh, when you're playing fantasy, you know, when you have a fantasy draft. So now what do you do with the other positions? That's kind of the question mark there. Um, you know, the defense has struggled. You know, the the rankings have gone down each. I think each year, the last three or four years. You know, it's just the USC defense with as much talent that is on it is not producing as well as it should. There have been a ton of injuries. There's been a ton of injuries for like three years now, though. You can't keep using injuries as an excuse. I looked up a random post that I had, you know, an injury report in the middle of the season from 2017. There were 25 players on it. So people can't say that, well, they just had injuries this year. Now it hurt that JT Daniels was one of them. Well, that that was right after the, the Washington State game two years ago is when this post was. Just found it randomly, didn't choose a specific one. Well, they had three offensive linemen go down that yeah, time. Yeah, that was like a, a rough one. Yeah. That was a rough game. So you're going to say, well, we had three offensive linemen, so that year's a wash now. Well, you lost a starting quarterback this year, so it's a wash. Like when You can't just keep making that as an excuse yeah. when it's a trend. That means something is not going right in your training or your nutrition or your development. Something is wrong there. You have to make adjustments to that. You get blamed for that, too, if you're Clay Helton, because that's under your watch. Stop using that as an excuse. The excuses are just done. You know, It's been the same ones over and over. It's time to just it's it's time to to put up or shut up. It, it's been time for that. I mean, that's what I was going to say. Coming off a of five and seven season... It's put up or shut up, and now we're round two of put up or shut up. Yeah, now it's the excuses again, and that's kind of thing. It's just it's over and over, same old stuff. The word that we kept seeing in the Peristyle podcast with Dan was exhausting. It's it's kind of exhausting having to go through this round of okay, here we go again. Now my question is, if you say you have you've had a car for ten years, and you're like, eh, this car drives, you know, I I need a new this, a new that, a new part. At what point? You just get a new car. When it comes to coordinators, if you're going through this each year, going through new coordinators or whatnot, why not get a new car? Don't you save more money in the long term by repairs and whatnot by just making that investment? It's kind of when you run it into a ditch, to use a uh, real-life <laughs> <laughs> example. Uh, story time. Yeah, when you run run your Toyota Yaris into a ditch, uh, you determine that it's not drivable. That's when you go. It's all right. It's time. It's time. It's not worth repairing it. You know, it's not worth it. It's time to just move on and invest and improve the product. And that's what I did. Uh, so, I, I think you can use a similar, you know, a similar analogy there to the program. You know, you keep trying to patch things together. If you have the money to go out and invest in something new, then you you go for it. You know, you can't keep patching things together and like retaping on the the rear view mirror or the side view mirrors. You know, it just becomes more dangerous for you if you're driving the car and you don't have any mirrors or you, you lose your headlights or whatever it may be. You know, it becomes dangerous for the football program because you're verging on you're losing boosters and you're losing you know season ticket holders and you're losing support and soon you'll start losing you know uh sponsorship and you know marketing stuff you national know. prominence which you're already lost but the, the thing too and john wilner talked about this in the ryan abraham pod is that in a couple of years they're going to be renegotiating the tv deals if usc is not important that's a huge player that takes away your overall value as the pac-12 yeah, definitely. And 
I don't think I brought this up previously, but I see parallels to USC baseball. Interesting. USC baseball is the premier college baseball program in the history of college baseball. 12 national championships. But since they fired Mike Gillespie, they ran him out, really. They they truly fired him. The program has gone into, you know, they went through a couple years where his son-in-law took over, which is weird in and of itself. But he struggled. Then the next guy struggled. And the next guy struggled. And the next guy struggled. And people like don't look at USC as a national power in baseball. And it, you know, it's gone a little bit longer than the USC football program has gone without it. But you know, you look at the baseball program right now, and people don't go, "Well, that's a blue blood program." They go, "Well, they're in the Pac-12 too." They look at UCLA. They look at Oregon State as the power programs rather than you know USC. And you could see the football program go on a similar trajectory if they don't make the moves to show that they're a blue blood program. If you're going to, you got to act like a blue blood program if you want to still be considered one. You know, there's football programs out there that were one time really known for their football. Look at Army or Navy, you know, Roger Staubach and, you know, winning Heisman trophies. You don't see Army or Navy winning Heisman trophies. Now, they decided not to invest in the football program, and that's where you get, you know, even the Ivy Leagues. You know, when football, in the early days, those were the teams that were known, along with the USC's and Notre Dame's and stuff. So, you know, they decided to invest more in the academic side. What's USC been trying to do? Invest more in the academic side. Which, this all just points to the question that we've said ad nauseum for the last two years. What does this administration want? What does this administration want from the college football program that is on their campus? For those playing Family Feud Bingo at home, please, Mark. <laughs> that. Your, your center square, because yeah. we're going to bring it up almost every time. Yeah, that and uh, Shotgun's playing days, but we'll probably get to that. <laughs> no, you had a personal reference of a car, so that counts. Okay. Mark, mark that, too. But yeah, as far as timing goes, we did get a tweet from Dave who says, uh, is there any word on potential changes on health and staff? We'll be waiting until after the bowl game. And right now it looks like that, especially with the early signing period. Yeah, just I just think the, the way that things take time at USC whether it be background checks or anything else that you know requires them a lengthy period before they make an announcement even when they've come to a decision and how long it takes them to come to decisions I think they're probably going to need to wait until after the bowl game just because it's just a it's a unique schedule in December where you have the contact period starts on December 1st which means that the coaches can go in home and visit players, which is it's the only time of the year, uh, December and then or I think January or before February, before the sign, that signing period. So it's the only time they get to go and do these in-home visits. So all the coaches are out on the road. They're trying to you know visit with all these Texas kids and kids from all over the country. They're trying to get in. Well, then you have bowl game prep, and then you have the early signing period in the middle of the month. So it's just a, it's a complicated period. And you've had the lull already. The lull's done now. You basically should be in bowl prep right now. So if you were going to make those changes, again, you should have sped up the timeline with Clay Hilton decision. You should have sped up the timeline with coordinator decisions. All this stuff, again, going back to it. It's just This is why it's getting depressing to talk about. And I don't know if depressing is the right word. It's just, it is exhausting to talk about because it's the same old stuff over and over because they're just not making the moves that you would expect from a powerhouse the potential powerhouse program on the West Coast, and they're not acting like it anymore. Mm-hmm. Potential being the keyword. Now, those were the things that 
are in the future that we don't necessarily know will happen, but there are two things that you mentioned that will happen. First up, the Holiday Bowl, USC uh, was chosen. They're going to face the Iowa Hawkeyes. They finished 9-3 and in the regular season, 16 in the college football playoff rankings, third in the Big Ten West. Shotgun, your initial thoughts of this matchup? They have a really good defense. You know, they have the fit, you know, they're fifth ranked in the country in scoring defense. They give up 13.2 points per game. Uh, so, you know, they're going to be tough to score on. Their defensive passing efficiency is pretty good, too. So that's going to be an interesting kind of matchup there. And they, they create turnovers. Uh, you know, they, they create some turnovers. They're not great at that, but they were plus six in the turnover margin. I think USC negative six or seven, something like that. They're down there towards the bottom. Uh, but, you know, they, they create some turnovers. They don't turn the ball over themselves. So they're not going to hurt themselves, whereas USC, that's what they do pretty consistently. So I think that that's going to be – it's going to be kind of the difference between better athletes at USC versus the ground and pound of Iowa, and they're just going to not make mistakes. They're just going to try to out-fundamental you uh, to an extent. Uh, you know, kind of that Big Ten versus Pac-12, the old-school Big Ten versus Pac-12 – where it was the Midwest, you know, the cornbread-fed boys that are, you know, big burly guys versus the speed and athleticism of the Southern California kids that are able to practice outside all, all the time and have more skill players. You know, it's a it's kind of a stereotype, and you know, it, it lives up to it a little bit, not not fully, but I think this matchup in particular kind of t- kind of shows that. I mean, they, they're eighth in the country in fewest penalties. Eighth in the country in fewest penalties per game, penalty, fifth in the country in penalty, fewest penalty yards. USC is on the exact opposite end of the spectrum, so it's like they're not going to hurt themselves with things. They're going to take care of the ball. USC is going to be on the other end. How does that matchup kind of play out? And I think I think the biggest matchup is the offense versus defense. USC's air raid and Graham Harrell and Keaton Slovis versus uh, you know Iowa with three weeks to prepare for the air raid offense. Now, they haven't faced a similar offense to USC that I know of off the top of my head, uh, and they haven't seen one as explosive as the playmakers that USC has because they, they didn't play Ohio State this year, so they didn't have to, to go against that gauntlet, which is why they're, maybe their uh, scoring defense is so low. Might be up about five points if they were yeah, playing maybe. against Ohio State. Uh, but I think that that's going to be the biggest kind of matchup in this one. And, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see how USC does against a Big Ten team again. You know, that's – Pac-12, Big Ten is the elite matchups on the West Coast, whether it be the Rose Bowl in, in this game. You know, you see it in a couple other matchups as well. But USC so far under Clay Helton, Ohio State they struggled. You know, Wisconsin did not play well. They did play well in the Penn State game, but they also struggled in that game. Yeah. Uh, their defense was not good. So we'll see how they kind of match up. Uh, if they can stop the run attack up the middle first, and then try to go from there. You know, I think it could be I think USC's defense could have a good game as long as they play well in the trenches. It's a big if. Uh, it's, it's always a big if. <laughs> True. We'll definitely have more in-depth uh, analysis and, and preview about this matchup, but the thing that stands out to me is whenever we talked about USC's preparation or physicality, et cetera, et cetera, we mentioned the Holiday Bowl and when USC faced Wisconsin and, and Clay Helton elected not to use all the practices and just they did not look prepared against Wisconsin. And now here we are. It's another holiday bowl. USC doesn't really have their act together when it comes to practicing and, and figuring out the practice schedule. So it almost seems like a continuation of the mistakes that were made four years ago. 
You mean so it's the same old, same old? Yes. I'm not I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but I mean it just seems like it's a recipe for more of what we've seen. And, and the difference is now you have the early signing period to deal with. At that time yep. when USC was going to the holiday bowl, that you know, that was not in uh had not been established and introduced at the at that point. So it's gonna be a challenge. The thing is it's the holiday bowl and before USC had a bowl game, what is announced? I saw a great tweet. said, how many Holiday Bowl or Alamo Bowl championships are up in the Coliseum? Yeah, that's, not, that's not something USC is you know, putting up there. So it's the Holiday Bowl. So somewhat it's just like, meh, they're going to this game. Unless they get blown out, I think you'll see an uproar again if they're getting blown out. And there are some, you know, it could be a positive. You could use it as some momentum into the offseason if they play really well. But, you know, unless they blow them out or get blown out, just the, it's just going to be a, just added to the end of the resume for this season and not really something that really stands out. Is 8-5 and five or 9-4, and four, is there that big of a difference at USC? No, double-digit wins. Yeah. Five losses, okay, whatever. But it's you know you're, it's just I don't think it's going to matter that much to fans. I don't know if fans are even going to attend. Uh, it's at Qualcomm. It's not a great stadium. You know, fans just are right now are so mad that they don't want to attend anything. But I do think it's an opportunity for Clay Helton to at least buy a little bit of goodwill for himself if it's an impressive performance. It doesn't mean much in the grand scheme of things, but at least leaves a somewhat appetizer of better taste in your mouth over the off season rather than, yeah, we get blown out in the holiday bowl and now everyone's gonna ask us about that leading up to the Alabama game. Like you can at least buy yourself a little bit of better and, press. And for the team I think it can be good momentum because, you know, if they can play physical against Iowa, they they that'll be the thing that they build their off season on going towards Alabama. Uh, and we talked about this a little bit with Taylor Mays on the tunnel vision about motivation for off season and stuff. And, you know, if you play well and show that you can be physical against an Iowa team, then that gives you the confidence going into the off season workouts and stuff to continue to, to get bigger and stuff and get ready for that Alabama game. But if they struggle. I, I think that's the only thing that will matter for the players, for the fans. I, I think it can matter a lot more for the players than for the fans, unless there is a blowout. And if there is a blowout, we got a tweet from Battleaxe who said, "Well, Mike Bone need to release another ill-conceived tweet of support for Helton if USC gets boat raced by Iowa." I don't think they're going to get boat raced for one, but I don't know. You know, it, it's just—it's a weird predicament, but it's not a predicament that USC hasn't been in before. Same old, same old. Clay Helton was hired after the UCLA game and then lost to to Stanford in the Pac-12 championship game and then lost to Wisconsin. So. Like you said, shotgun. Just I'll play. Same old, same we old. We need a drop. <laughs> Just same old, Just same old. Just play the DMX song. <laughs> no. Now the last thing that we know of, uh, we mentioned it already, or the early signing period is on the 18th. Uh, some movement has happened in the class in the last week. USC had two decommitments and two commitments. First up, the decommitments: Joey Wright and Kyle Jurgens. Shotgun, you actually kind of predicted one of those decommitments before it happened. Yeah, I talked to I tried to reach out to all the commits for an LA Times story, you know, about Clay Helton's uh retention and just kind of get their reaction to it. And when I talked to Kyle Jurgens, he actually said that he had not had an in-home visit at all with the coaches. Um I actually found uh confirmed with Joey Wright last night. He had not get, had an in-home visit at all with USC either. So 
that tells you a lot because, like I said, the contact period is really important because it's really the only time coaches get to go in home with, with kids and especially kids that are going to sign during this early signing period. Now, Jurgens told me he wasn't going to sign until February, but he also said that he hadn't you know, scheduled an official visit with USC. So there were just some things that said, okay, this sounds like there might be a separation coming between the two, and that's ended up what ended up being what happened. Joey Wright decommitted last week, Jurgens over the weekend, but USC picks up two offensive linemen in their stead, basically. Now, you're switching out three stars for three stars, and I know uh, USC fans are going to be you know, very upset at the any time there's a three star mentioned. But you know, it, it's a positive. There's some positives and some negatives. This is just kind of the evolution of a recruiting class at the end. I wrote about that for the LA Times last night. Uh, that at this time of the year, things start changing a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, I think it was four Pac-12 teams have had at least one commitment and at least one decommitment already in December. So it's 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 just part of the kind of the cycle of recruiting that towards the end, you know, some players say. Oh man, I got a better offer. You know, Alabama came in, and even though I was committed to Middle Tennessee State, suddenly Alabama comes in. You go, I'm going to go to Alabama if they really want me. Maybe. You know, just because it's an offer I didn't have before. So sometimes those things happen. Sometimes, you know, a long time commit changes their mind, flips their commitment. Sometimes teams are just like, we decided, you know, we got a commitment from this guy, Ma'a Natiote. Pallier's little brother has been a commitment for like a year and a half already, and he still has a year to go. So, you know, sometimes in that three-year window, if you're in really early commitment like that, either your play does not continue on the the scale that that uh, the coaches expect, or you take off, you know, way above whatever school you've committed to. Now, USC being a blue blood, it's usually more the blue bloods often are quote unquote dropping kids. You know, people always ask is that they get dropped. It's more uh, sometimes it's just telling a kid like, hey, we don't know that we're going to have a spot for you. You know, you you have a three star kid. You think he's going to develop and you just don't see that development coming. You know, maybe you find out that a kid doesn't have the grades. Maybe the work ethic's just not there that you thought was there. You know, there can be a number of different factors. Um, So, you know, that's what has happened with USC. When you see the kids aren't getting the in-home visits and stuff, that tells you more that the, the school has has made the decision rather than the player. And the player may either you know takes that decision and says, you know what, they're not talking to me. I'm going to go find somewhere that's better for me. Uh, so you know, I think that's kind of what has happened. USC's kind of switched out a couple commitments. They're still going to pick up some more commitments going down the stretch. They have an opportunity to to still close pretty strong. Now that's a relative word <laughs> because they're currently 76 in the nation. You mean they're going to finish with an outstanding class, Shotgun? <laughs> You had to bring it up. So Clay Helton in his statement. Hold on, before you do that, I just want to jump in because I people were kind of freaking out like, oh, this, look at the program. We're losing three stars. When did USC start to lose three stars? How much of that is just part of the evolution of the class and with those lack of home visits kind of USC moving on rather than the state of the program? This is more USC moving on uh, just because when you don't have those in-home visits, says the team, the school has taken less interest in a player. Yeah. Um, now it's possible they could go circle back to players. That that happens sometimes. Uh, if something falls through and they think they're getting a better prospect or you know a more coveted prospect, someone higher on their ranking, uh, their recruiting board, and maybe they circle back to someone. Especially now with the early signing period and the later signing period. You know, after the early signing period ends, then teams do a reevaluation. 
okay, what positions do we still need to attack? Can we get it in the transfer market, or do we need to go look somewhere else? And that's how USC last year ended up closing with so many defensive backs late. You know, they decided, they determined that we need depth at defensive back. And you saw that this year was necessary. You know, a lot of guys got in there and had to play some some important uh, snaps for them. Uh, But that happens, you know, after the reassessment. So it's kind of a, you know, it's an influx situation in December as teams determine what they need, where they can get it, and how to best attack trying to get it. You were going to rant about the outstanding class comment, but I'm just going to move on because ranting, you know. Outstanding. Don't say outstanding. Clay Helton's comment was. Hey, USC moved back to 76. Clay Helton said we're putting the final touches on an outstanding recruiting class. If you say outstanding, that means top five at USC. That's why I mentioned the word patronizing, because you're insulting people's t- intelligence if you want them to take your comments seriously. Yeah, outstanding means top five. And USC, I talked to both Greg Biggins, the 24-7 uh, national recruiting analyst, and for an LA Times story, I talked to one of the rival's top people, and both of them said that they may can sneak into the top 25. That's not good at USC. Last year they finished 20 number 20, and people were like, this is the worst class ever because it was the worst class in there in the modern recruiting era. And they're going to follow that up with one that's not going to get to number 20 probably. So, you know, you can't say you're going to be outstanding. We're gonna, they may close strong because they were 86th two days ago. Well, first off, the Monday before the news of Clay Hilton returning, USC picked up a 6'7", 300-pound, three-star tackle, Casey Collier. And then this past Monday, picked up 6'6", 305, three-star offensive lineman, Cortland Ford. Take it away, Mr. Gunn. Yeah, so you pick up those guys. You move from 86 back to 76. Uh, but you're going to take a lot more guys. And now they only have, I believe, 10 commitments in the class right now. They want to get to 18, 19, 20. And part of that's going to be, you know, NFL defections, transfers to tell you how many scholarships you have total because they're up against the number, the 85 total scholarships. And that could play into how many transfers they think they can get as well as to how many guys they try to sign in this early signing period. So there's still some movement to come in the class. They're hoping to finish strong with some local kids. When I talked to Greg Biggins uh, about you know USC's class and where it's at, he said, I've always said that a rumored coaching change is always way worse than a coaching change itself. When you have a rumored coaching change, your families are scared, the kids are scared, they just don't know, they don't want to commit without knowing who's going to be their coach. But now that they know it's going to be Helton, which is why both he and the Rivals guys said that they think that they can move into the top 25 is because now there's there's some stability there for them. They know it's going to be Clay Helton. So now Clay Helton can go, hey, look, the admin's behind me. I've got the security now. You know, this is going to be the staff that's here. You can trust me. The, you know, we were just a couple plays away. We're a young team. You can He can really sell it now rather than it being like, well, I hope I'm going to be back. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a much different message you're sending to, to kids then. Yeah. So now he can sell, you know, he can really sell the program, sell what, you know, his, you know, his vision of the the program going forward. And because of that, they should be able to close again, relatively close strong because they're going to go from 76. They're going to go at least into the four 40s or 30s, I think, uh, depending on who they're able to get down the stretch. And, you know, if they finish really, really well for the class as it is currently, they could get into that top 25. But again, that's not up to USC standards as a whole. Yeah. 
completely. Now, one last point before we move on to questions. Chris Trevino dubbed this a beefy, quote-unquote, class. Because if you look at the offensive linemen that they have, I'm just going to run it down. I already said uh, the stats for Cortland and Casey, but then you go to Andres Dewerk. Uh, he's six foot seven, three hundred pounds. Jonah Monheim is six foot five, two hundred eighty. Andrew Millick, six six, two ninety five. Caden Steffen is six foot six, two hundred ninety seven pounds. Now some of them are projects, if you will, in this class, but it seems like Chris was right with the beefiness of of the size. Yeah, they're adding adding some size there, and and that was the thing with Jurgens, who was a two way lineman, probably at USC was going to be on the defensive side, but he was I think two forty when when he committed to USC. Uh, Joey Wright's another guy that was kind of tall and slender. You know, there, there's still some there's some projects in this, but they're adding some some bigger guys going into Texas and getting six seven three hundred and six six three oh five. I think is important to this class because they also need depth on the offensive line. There's just yeah. not a bunch of guys there. You know, when you look at it, if they were to have a spate of injuries at a certain position, they were going to be in trouble. They were fortunate this year that their offensive line. Stayed intact, you know, 85-90% throughout the entire season. Now, they lost Andrew Voorhees at the beginning, but they had, you know, that was already a competition going on with him, Jalen McKenzie, and adding Drew Richmond over the offseason I think really boosted them and they're giving them some depth. Now they're going to get some young guys and try to work them in because they have the potential of returning their entire offensive line next year besides Drew Richmond. So if you return the entire offense line, none of these guys have to play. You give them time to grow as players, and that's what their hope is now. Is Austin Jackson coming back? Is Elijah Vera Tucker coming back? Those are big question marks. Austin Jackson continues to get, you know, uh, continues to get mock drafted into the first round, and if that's the case, it's going to be hard for him to come back uh, just with the potential there. So it, some questions on that offensive line. They could lose three-fifths of it. They could return four-fifths of it. <laughs> and then also get Andrew Voorhees back. Uh, and get you know get Brett and Elon back and you know the couple guys that were injured at late in the season. So I, I think that it's important though, just because they just don't have a lot of depth, you know, as a whole on the offensive line to to really stack up the class with some offensive linemen. They would love to get some you know some five star guys on that offensive line, but there's not any of those guys, those big six foot six, six foot seven guys that are three hundred pounds in California. In Southern California, like Dwork is the one guy in California. That I think there's one other guy that's like six six, six seven, and over three hundred pounds. The rest of the guys that are rated highly in California are your Miles Miro, who's a who's a center prospect. Drake Metcalf is a center prospect. Who are shorter guys that just don't fit what USC really needs to add because of what they could lose this offseason as well. Now, when it comes to the way that USC has been quote unquote restocking their classes, you mentioned the DBs earlier and now this round of offensive linemen, do you get into a pattern where every couple of years you're going to have to, okay, we really need to address this position group and this position group, or is there going to have to be a plan where you're now, you have to start sprinkling things in because you can't have these gaps of, of not age, but like class gaps where you're missing position groups. Well, I I think that's, it's kind of been their trend of what they've done. You know, you look at that the class that is right now the offensive line group. You know, they went out and got five guys. And why did they do that? They said, well, this is a really good class, and the next class after it wasn't great. Now, the problem is they need depth this year, and it's not a great class to have the beefy depth on the offensive line this season. And that's when you run what you run the risk of is getting to a point where we got to have guys and we there's just not the guys that are really fitting the profile in our normal recruiting area. Now, if you're doing really well, 
then you go across the country and you get a guy like Paris Johnson, the number one offensive tackle. USC was talking to early, early in the recruitment. Or you get a guy like Jackson Carmen a couple years ago who chose Clemson and is now their starting left tackle and mauling people. <laughs> you know, you get a guy like Pene Sewell, yep. who was the best left tackle in the country at Oregon. And then you don't have this issue because, you know, if you get if you had Pene Sewell and Jackson Carmen competing with Austin Jackson for the start, like that is a ridiculous amount of talent. And that's what USC used to be. And then you don't have to rush out and try to get we gotta get a bunch of guys. Yeah. You you can stack classes when there's talent like they did previously, but then you but the question becomes you run the risk of having it like this year where you've missed on some couple classes and you have to have someone. And part of the reason why you have to have someone is because of the lack of development of guys you did take earlier, too. True. Because there are gaps where there are players, but I don't think USC's coaches necessarily think that they're ready to, to be the, the number one guy. Yeah, a guy like Liam Douglas was is a project guy. You knew coming out of high school he was. But is he ready in two years, or is it taking three to four years? Those type things are can really determine whether you have to go get some you know certain positions, whether you have to go get a grad transfer at a position type of thing. So I, I think that plays into it. When you miss on certain positions two classes in a row, that's when there's some big issues. You know, when you miss on Carmen, you miss on Sewell, you don't get any big name guys last year, that's when there's some issues because that's what happens with the quarterbacks. When you don't get Shea Patterson and KJ Costello, and you get Matt Fink and Jack Sears back to back, now those guys are good pickups, but those were not the top end guys that they were trying to get each year. So when you miss on your top targets at a position two years in a row, that's when you get in trouble and you have to start freshmen. Mm-hmm. And then you go, well, we're a young team. Yep. Because of what you did is why you are a young team. Once again, the tree of bad decisions or or wrong steps. The tree of quit using excuses that are your fault. Oh, well, injuries have really affected us for three years. Make some changes. Well, we're a young team. You said this, what, three years in a row? Why are you a young team? Because you've had a bunch of defections because you've chosen players that can't stay in school for whatever reason. Or you've chosen uh, to you've not been able to get your top targets, so now you're having to start freshmen. Well, you're a young team because of your own fault. Stop using stuff as an excuse when it's your own fault. Frustrated shotgun. Speaking <laughs> for the fan base. No, I agree. I agree. And just the lack of development. It just, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to add on to your rant. <laughs> Let's just move on to questions. I mean, Liam Jimmins is going to be good, but he can't be the only guy that's developing. Or that you see progress from. Because there are some guys who just get lost. You know? True. I don't want to put them on the spot here, but I think we know who we're talking about. You know, there's just guys who... I just feel like it's been the USC thing where you get the talented guys from the start and use their talent as freshmen rather than a Yuchina Nuosu where we've developed them and made them to be better than what they were when they first came. Or Austin Jackson is being talked about as a first-round pick. Not because he is dominant like, like Penny Sewell or Jackson Carmen has been, but because he has unique athletic abilities and potential out the wazoo. So he's a guy that's been playing for three years. Now, if he had been with the top offensive line coach in the country, I don't know where Tim Drevno ranks necessarily. But when you've had the turnover they've had on the offensive line, firing no Callaway midseason, those type things, Drevno going from running backs to offensive line, it's not been the consistent thing. If he had the number one offensive line coach in the country for three years, there's no doubt he's leaving because he might be a top five pick. 
You know, he's going to be a top 15 pick. I think if he comes back, he's a top 15 pick because I think he can still take that next step at the college level and showcase to teams, and then teams don't have question marks about is it potential versus production. Uh, that's a question he's going to have to answer. But that's the type of talent with the right development that wouldn't be here in four years. You know, when guys talk about, you know, the three to four years, that's – yeah. It's not just the the fringe guys making them into players that you know contribute. It's turning the superstars into superstars, super superstars, allowing the superstars to live up to their potential. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. I agree with you. Uh, it's, it's family family agree. <laughs> the new the new pod. Uh, let's go to questions first up from Gustavo. Who says, hello, Keelan Shotgun. I hope the news of Clay Hilton coming back pushes you to finally have a Family Feud podcast. It's only been two weeks. Well, we need a little break. They had a bye week. So did we. (laughs) Now that the decision has been made, what changes outside of head coach need to be made to improve this team? Thanks, guys, and fight on to another year of uncertainty. Gustavo (laughs) from Soonerland. Fight on to another year of uncertainty. It's it's not incorrect. Mm -hmm. Gustavo. I love that name. The changes that need to be made, the defense has to improve, and there's a ton of talent on the defense that can lead it to improve. Does that mean Clancy Pendergast has to be fired? I'm not saying that, but the defense has to improve. It's it's too long. It's been, you know, middle of the road to worse. Uh, so the defense has to improve. Special teams has to be more consistent. I'm not saying but John Baxter has to be fired either, but special team has to be more consistent. It's not being able to return the ball to the 25 consistently. It's giving up um, you know, multiple big returns over the season. It, you know, Your field goal kicker was fantastic. Your punter got improved a lot uh, throughout the season. It's being consistent, though, with all those units rather than just having some individuals. I mean, I think on the, the all, uh, pro football focus is all Pac-12 team, there were three specialists, You know, both the kicker, punter, and Valus Jones as a returner. But Valus Jones' numbers aren't great. He had one uh, kickoff return, and his blockers didn't do a ton for him. So, you know, if they're consistent with their units, it could be a much better team. It's those hidden yards that we thought would that Ben Griffiths would help out a lot with didn't necessarily happen this season because the units as a whole just were, were giving up too many things. So that has to improve. The run game needs to be more consistent as well. Part of it was the injuries, but you and I like the things that they did. Graham Harrell did with using the receivers, screens, and different things as an extension of the run game. But you got to be able to get the tough yards when necessary. Now that comes down to physicality on the offensive line and your running backs at the same time being able to break that tackle. You know, you can do it in different ways. You can run through them like Marquis Step. You can sidestep them like Stephen Carr. You can outspeed them to the edge uh, with Keenan Kristen. But you need to be able to get that extra yard uh, after contact or you know when it's on third and one, fourth and one. There's still it was better this season, but there were still times when they couldn't get that yard when they needed to. So I think those are the three biggest areas that I would point to. Yeah, I would have to agree. Family agree once again. I mean, it, it, I think it's without saying penalties and turnovers. What's the what's the drop that we had? Same old, same old, or same whatever. Old, same old, same old, same old. I just to have a different answer from you. Uh, physicality, better tackling angles, mentality. I think that the offense showed fight, but I also think that they played up and down to their opponent, and that's something we've seen with Clay Helton teams. Now, granted, there was more fight in this team than maybe we saw on the 2018 team. Oh, definitely. Hell yeah. Definitely. 
But I just think the culture needs to be improved to where they don't have the same goalpost moving mindset where, oh, it's good. It's okay. You know, we lost to BYU, but it's okay. The Pac 12 championship's still within reach. We lost to Washington. You know, it's okay. We can still win the Pac 12 championship. We're, you know, Pac 12 South. We can still be there. You lose to Oregon. We're, gonna, we're just going to try to finish the season hard and hope that things fall our way. Like you said, you keep moving the goalpost. I think that's a great point right there uh, to go to family agree again, which is weird. Uh, but yeah, I think I'm just sitting here in shock because you said I made a great point. Continue, yeah. continue. But no, that's a great point. Is that changing the mindset is like it should hurt a lot when you lose a game, the first game especially that you lose, because you have national championship aspirations and you feel like we may have blown it. You know, I, I, you don't have to have a Tim Tebow moment. But someone should be upset, and there were times when there were just not people upset that you would expect to be. Uh, now, there were a couple players that you know, didn't want to talk to the media or like rush out of there, and you can, why is that happening? Not because they're just jerks or anything, but because you know they're upset by you know what their aspirations were, not being able to achieve that. And, but it didn't seem like that was a you know a full thing. They're still you know I brought it up before, but you know in the Oregon game, you're down by. 17, 24 points, and you're posing for pitchers on the sideline? Exactly. It's a mindset thing. But the problem is is it's top-down. When your head coach after a BYU loss is saying it's a great team that they lost to, spoiler alert, it wasn't. So then that goes to the whole culture thing. Can you really change a culture when you don't change the head coach? I don't know. But to answer Gustavo's questions, that would be my answer. <laughs> I think you can change the culture without changing the head coach. We, we've disagreed on this. Previously, but if you get the right coordinators in, uh, and you get the right strength, co- strength coach plays a big part into it. You know, just the overall culture of a team. But I, I think that you saw with Notre Dame and Brian Kelly and the whole thing that USC. You mean the Notre Dame method? Yeah, the what? one that USC you know championed over and over from uh, you know Lin Swan to Clay Helton repeatedly, and then didn't follow through with. They said they were going to be like them, but yeah, I think that. When he completely cleaned house and they brought in a new staff and everything, I think they were able to change their culture. Um, so yeah, I think it can be done. Will it be done? Yeah. I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> we have a tweet from Mike Fisher who says, How much of an effect do you guys think all this outside noise, talk about Helton by fans and media, is having on the team? Do you think they are listening or caring about any of it? I'm sure they're listening to it, but I think at some point it just becomes white noise because they've heard so much of it. Uh, I think that's probably where they are right now. Now, and I've had some parents that, that get upset about things that you know they're tweeted and stuff. I think it's all the vitriol is kind of directed at, like I said, Helton and above, so less than the players themselves. I think if a lot of stuff was being directed at them, then they would be more upset by it as players. But I think that it, it probably has an effect if you're a recruit and you look at that type of stuff too. You're just like, what in the world is going on there? But also as a recruit, you go, when I get there, we'll fix things. Well, Mike Bone essentially blamed. Yeah, and that's get out of here. Don't blame the fans for your recruiting not doing well. Go out and recruit and play better. Yep. Stability and development are what, what brings recruits in, not fans saying that – that you know, we love you and we want you to be here and we love our coach because otherwise Nebraska would have the number one class every single year because those fans inundate every recruit that goes there. So don't don't blame the fans for it, Mike Bone. Come on. I noted this on I'm pulling you. I noted this on one of 
the platforms that we talk on. But I did think it was interesting how there was definitely a, a social media lockdown on talking about Clay Helton or any of the news because we didn't hear anything from the, the players in that sense. I did see Chris Steele say like, oh, you bandwagon fans, like don't come around when we're winning or whatever. But for the most part, it was quiet. Whereas, Unfortunately, there's been players basically saying that same message for about three or four years now. That's a good point. Or at least two and a half. True. One other thing to note is you haven't seen a ton of former players chiming in either. I think that it's it's just again exhaustion. You know, mm-hmm. even the guys that want that support. You know, Antoine Woods has supported Clay Helton, and some other uh, players have said that you know they think Clay Helton can get the job done. Like, it's just kind of there's been so much noise that I think they've just kind of been like, I'm, I'm giving up on this right now at least. You know, what what use is me putting out another tweet going to do? The type apathy thing. factor. Yeah, I think that that's become part of it too. We have a tweet from Mando who says, is the QB position open again? That's interesting. Open? I mean, I think Keaton Slovis is the clear clear uh, front runner. He's the healthiest as well. <laughs> that helps. But uh, no, Keaton Slovis is the starter going forward. And the thing is, I think he and JT could probably be about equal. They might even be equal right now. I don't know. For, just for argument's sake, we'll say they're exactly even right now. The, th- the difference is that Keaton Slovis now is going to have eight, nine months to continue to get better and progress and, and, and work on his craft while JT Daniels is spending that time in the rehab room trying to get back from the injury. Now, he's going to try to get back by fall camp, and if that happens, now you have an actual competition. But it's still – that's it's – Depending on how quickly he can get back, he may not be back for that. He's hoping to, but if he's not back, then obviously Slovis is going to be the guy in the, as the front runner. So yeah, I, I think that I don't think it's open. I think it's Slovis is to lose at this point because, I like, like I said, he's just going to be able to progress, uh, you know, throughout the the spring and the summer. And JT Daniels, maybe he gets back at the end of the summer. You know, maybe he's ready for fall camp. Question mark. Question mark. Question mark. And then you have to see if he can progress and try to take over because he just doesn't have that time seeing the defenses every day and you know how you're going to make adjustments on the fly, those type things that you don't get from doing the VR because that's what you should be doing, all the VR stuff. And I think there's also something to be said for the rapport that Keen Slovis and Graham Harrell have built up over the season. You know, JT Daniels had that year with Brian Ellis. Now Keen Slovis and Graham Harrell have worked out the kinks of this new offense for a whole season. And that's a, that's an important connection that they've established. And so I think that also factors into all of that and why it's his job to lose. Definitely. We have an email from our buddy May Bet who says, Hello, Keelan Shotgun. This is May Bet from Ontario. The SC fan base was royally screwed. SC, capitalized, creative. Bet, by Bone by retaining Clay Helton. What other fan bases, college and pro in any sport, have suffered from the same betrayal we are now experiencing? Keep feuding and thanks for all you do, especially during these tough USC football times. So looking at this question, uh, you know, I, I think it's tough to look at a college program and, and see this being done. But I think if you look to the professional ranks, you look at a place like the Knicks, you know, and the fact that it's the guy at the top that's been has been affecting the rest of the you know once proud franchise that they have or the Dallas Cowboys where it's the owner at the top that's constantly meddling in uh, the matters below. I think those are the the places you're kind of looking at and trying to to see a kind of a, a comparison there. So I, I think it's somewhere where it's been a top down issue where it's a proud franchise, used to winning all the time, and suddenly they're not winning consistently. 
that sounds a lot like USC, right? Yes. <laughs> I also see similarities to the Lakers in the sense that they've kind of had the same regime for a while, and they're very big on Lakers family and hiring Lakers people, and those people with lack of experience, but they're Lakers people. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Magic Johnson. <laughs> yeah, you can look at these professional ranks and see some similarities there. You know, if you want to go to the college the one place you maybe you look is Alabama, you know, and what the future could hold for USC. It can either be USC baseball, where they're still currently in the doldrums 15, 20 years later, or you could look at Alabama and the decade that they went through with Mike Dubose, Dennis Francione, you know, Mike Shula, where they had a couple of positive years, you know, a couple 10 win seasons in there. But there also was a four and seven year, a three and eight year, four and nine, six and six. USC's not even been on that hard times. And people forgot about Alabama for a decade. You didn't talk about Alabama as the premier blue blood program. No, but what happened? They went out and hired the best coach, Nick Saban, and suddenly, is Alabama consistently a winner? Uh, How about. 12 wins, 14, 10, 12, 13, 11, 12, 14, 14, 13, 14, the last years. That's ridiculous. It takes All it takes is the right coach. You get, you get the right coach in place, and you know he's able to, to create the culture and program that is expected at a Blue Blood program. And if that is the expectation of the Blue Blood program, which was never changed at Alabama, which is why those three coaches I named previously made it four, two, and four, four years, I think it was, or four, two, and three, something like that. You know, that's how that decade went. They didn't go, well, let's wait around for five, year five, year six, and see if things change. No, they said three and eight. We got to get somebody else in here. Is that your official Alabama admin voice? Uh, Something like that. Interesting. Okay. Let's go to our final question of the pod, and it's a tweet from King Camby, who I will give a shout out to. He's been consistent this whole season, tweeting us the turnover traveler. So, shout to you, King Camby. Thanks for doing that. We're waiting for it to happen. we got to get that mini pony in. Hey, speaking of which, if you made it this far, thanks to everyone who tweeted us what they were doing on Thanksgiving. I was not expecting the response we got. It was hilarious. <laughs> I actually read it to my family on Thanksgiving. They're like, no way. People actually listen to you. And I was like, yes, they do. Um, so it was fun. So thank you all for your engagement. Thanks your for listening family to doesn't us. doesn't believe anyone listens to <laughs> no, you. No, they That's do. Hilarious. But I, I was more shocked that people outside of my family listened to me. I think that was what really happened. But <laughs> no, it was fun. It was good stuff. So thanks to everyone who tweeted at us and emailed us. We did get an email. The subject line was just, I escaped my family. And, and at first I was like, is this like a cry for help? And then you reminded me what we said. I was like, this is concerning. And then I was like, oh, right, right, right. We talked about that. So, Did someone get kidnapped? I know. Plus we get weird spam from everywhere. So I was like, maybe someone like just happened to ask for help and then put in the family feud bot. I don't know. You just get an address? Like, what is this? What's the, the Taken guy, Liam Neeson? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> So King Canby has a question about men's basketball, actually. Whoa. Whoa. He says, is USC a tournament team? Seems like their scoring goes away for long chunks. Don't know if you can make a living doing that in Pac-12 play. Trojans started off with five out of seven on the road in conference, and I fear they'll be chasing it all season. So that's a good question. You know, at the beginning of the season, I would say definitely. Uh, and now I still say I think so. But they need to show a little bit more, you know, than they have shown. Now that the TCU game, they get a win. Uh, but they nearly blew, nearly was a catastrophe. You know, they were up by 18 in the second half. 
They were up by nine with a minute and a half to go and nearly lost that one. But they get a win on a tip-in by Nick Rakosovich to, to kind of save the day and get a big win there just for the resume because it's a, a road win um, and potentially a quad one win because TCU probably should be pretty good in the Big 12, should be at least the the top half of that league. So I think that's important. They've got a couple big games coming up in a, in a couple weeks uh, with LSU coming into L.A. to play at Staples Center uh, right before the before Christmas. They're playing Long Beach State this week. they got to take care of those type games, the Long Beach State type of games. But the biggest thing is, yes, their scoring goes away for some, some time. And they need to get the ball to the right people when those things happen, not turn the ball over. Those are usually what happens. They turn the ball over a little bit too much which they still have young point guards. I think that's part of it. But they have to just play consistent defense all the time. And if they do that, then they'll be fine. I mean, for example, you you look back and they, they won the first game in Orlando against Fairfield. They only scored 54 points in that, and they struggled down the stretch. But they held Fairfield, I think it was almost eight minutes at the end of the game without a field goal. So if they play defense consistently – then the offense can have some can have the spurt ability, and they've talked about that in the past. Where oh, you know, it's like the NBA game. Sometimes you're going to be hot. Everybody's going to go on a run type thing. But if your defense is consistent, then it, the, the other team doesn't ever go on a run, even when you're not uh, having success offensively. You can go three, four minutes without a field goal, and you only give up four points or five points. Then that changes things. Whereas they go into the next the game right after that against Marquette, and you let Marcus Howard go off for 51 points. Then you're not going to win any game, you know. They lost that game 101 to 79. You give up 101 points and 51 of them to uh, to one guy. Yeah, you're not going to win many many games. So if they play better defensively in the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 is much different, just because you know all the opponents, you've studied them, you've played most of the guys for a year, or two or three, whether on the AAU uh, ranks or at the college level, so it changes things then, and it's more about you know executing your plays and instead of just surprising people with what you can do. Now they got to execute, and that's going to be a big question mark for them. So you know, starting out on the road is going to be a challenge for them. They haven't played consistently on the road under any infield in any time span, really. So especially with a young team, I think it's going to be difficult. So I went from being a definite team a tournament team to now it's like i think they'll still be a tournament team (laughs) interesting so the confidence level is a little shaky yeah downgraded confidence level well there you have it your basketball minute i think you're going to learn a lot that first pac-12 weekend they go to washington state a game they should dominate and then they play at washington a game that they should struggle how do they play in those two games is there a consistent effort in both of them or is it playing to your competition level in both of them they can they can both be close games because they can play their competition level we shall see with a lot of things with USC, not just basketball. It's true. Look at that transition. <laughs> it's true. Hopefully we didn't beat a dead horse. I tried to arrange it so that we were looking ahead. But like Shotgun said in the podcast, it's kind of a, a lull right now until things get going. Um, our, speaking of which, our pod schedule is TBD just because of bowl practices are up in the air, early signing period and all that stuff. So stay tuned for our next podcast. It will come at some point. Um, but any final thoughts, Shotgun, before we wrap it up? No, just hopefully things start to move in the right direction. Now that you have a new president, they've been here for six months. Now that you have a new AD, he's been here, he's closing in on a month. It's time to start making the changes that need to be seen to improve 
not only the football program, but the entire athletic program as a whole that we haven't seen in the past. You know, we, we're in the lull right now. Calm before the storm, hopefully. You know, before there's some changes made that improve things at USC. A good storm. Positive storm. Sometimes you need a little rain. Before the sunshine. <laughs> for the rainbow. Oh. Duh. Um, why not both? <laughs> okay. No, but the storm connotation sometimes sounds bad. So, I was clarifying. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty, that's mm-hmm. going to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Just peace for us, Shotgun. Peace. <laughs> peace for us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.